fraud is everywhere and fraud affects everyone. So everybody, you know, is affected in one way or another, but women are definitely more at risk for financial exploitation. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Today, we have a great show for you. It is the second of three parts of a Breaking Money Silence on Longevity series. Um, We are going to be talking about what's called the silent epidemic. So this is elder financial abuse. And my guest, Hayden McCoy, is going to fill us in as to what we should know about this troubling, yet I think preventable problem for people who live a long life. Hayden McCoy believes you don't need a cape to be a crime fighter. Her heart's mission is combating financial crime, especially elder fraud. For over a decade, Hayden worked in Europe as a controller and consultant specializing in fraud and financial crime. In 2016, she left the corporate grind to help her mother manage her post-divorce life and finances. Little did Hayden realize this decision would shape a career in financial planning and a passion for combating elder fraud. Welcome, Hayden, to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, you know, this is a disturbing topic, but I think one that's really important to break money silence on. And when we first connected, you told me that elder financial abuse is actually referred to as a silent epidemic. So can you tell me and the listeners a little bit about why it has that name and how it typically affects people? Sure. So elder abuse in general is called the silent epidemic. Elder abuse is categorized into five different types, physical, psychological, financial, sexual, and neglect. Multiple forms of abuse can happen at once and often does. And it's happening everywhere to our senior population, but we don't hear about it. The Department of Justice and Health and Human Services has said that about one in 10 Americans age 60 or older have experienced some form of elder abuse. Estimates range as high as about 5 million seniors who are abused each year. And sadly, only one in 23 cases of elder abuse are reported to authorities. Uh, And of all the elder abuse types, financial fraud is most often reported about one in 14 cases. So the reason it's silent is because the media doesn't talk about elder abuse and exploitation. Ageism and elder discrimination are on the rise. Rapidly changing technology has made fraud easier. Most seniors fail to report the fraud 
And many are worried about the consequences. So they may have been threatened or they live in fear. They're embarrassed to admit falling for a scam or becoming a victim. And the disabled and vulnerable may not even be aware it's happening or they don't have the ability to report it. So what really strikes me about this is the certainly the low reporting rate, but that it, there's a lot of money shame connected to it. And one of the things that I talk about in my work in this podcast a lot is that we often live in a culture of money shame. And it just seems so sad to me that because people feel uncomfortable admitting to the fact that either they have been ripped off or maybe they don't feel 100% about their relationship with money, that they are paying such a high cost. Now, I would love to know a little bit more about how you got engaged and interested in this topic, because clearly you have made this a mission and part of your life's work. So I became interested in elder financial abuse when my own mother became a victim. The, the reason I'm passionate about it is because it's personally affected my life um, pretty dramatically over the last few years. So back in 2016, I was working as a fraud and financial crime consultant in London, and my parents were finalizing their divorce. They were both 67 at the time. They had been married for almost 35 years. And during the marriage, my mother never had any input on financial decisions. That was always what my dad did. So suddenly, because the divorce um, was finished, she was now faced with the task of managing her own money, you know, figuring out what, how much did she need to live on, how to make her money last, and how to invest it. My mother was told by her lawyer to hire a financial planner. So she interviewed, I think it was three or four. And she ended up hiring a certified financial planner from a large national firm who had been recommended by a friend. And I think she had about two or three meetings with the planner. At the presentation meeting, he told my mother that she couldn't afford her paid-for house. She couldn't afford her paid-for car. She couldn't afford vitamins. She couldn't even afford the cat. She needed to downsize every area of her life, but also needed to pay the firm $2,000 a month to invest for her. When my mother got this news, she called me. She was so upset and in a panic. And when I heard what the advisor had recommended, um, I started to question the accuracy of it. I wasn't a financial planner at that time, but I mean, my whole career had been in finance, so I knew enough and thought, well, this is really terrible advice. Why would you tell someone all these things? So we developed a list of questions that she could ask the planner. And when she started asking for some explanations or, you know, more information, he became really defensive and attacked me and said that I had no idea what I was talking about and shouldn't be involved in my mother's financial decisions. Well. That was a huge red flag, and she ended up terminating the relationship with the advisor. And of course, that was the, the first thing was that she owed a lot in tax because uh, there was a lot of short-term gains realized when uh, she terminated assets under management. And while all this was going on, I had made the decision to quit my job and move back to Texas so I could help her cope. This ba bad financial advice, especially rooted in fear, this is what I really want to stress, is that when people get fearful, especially about money, it leads to a lot of bad and costly financial decisions. And that's exactly what happened to my mom. She ended up selling her 
paid for a car and bought something she didn't like and couldn't drive it and had to, you know, sell that one at a loss and buy something else. And probably one of the worst things that happened was she was uh, selling her house. She felt that she had to sell it immediately. So we signed up to uh, sell the house with some realtors that had been family friends for about 20 years. And when the house was on the market, we had a lot of conflicts with them and we hadn't had an offer in over 40 days. So we really wanted to just terminate amicably with them. Instead, with full consent of the broker, they ended up unlisting the house and they held it for a ransom of $15,000, which was their full commission. And my mother was so upset and wanting to sell the house that she didn't want to wait until the listing contract expired. So she ended up paying them $5,000 so that we could get our house back and, and sell it. And we hired an, another realtor who sold it to the first couple that saw it and it never even went back on the market. She wow. had some other, yeah, uh, I mean, that's, that's extortion. And, you know, it, it's just those kinds of trauma, you know, it, it almost like it's this snowball that keeps having you make even more financial decisions that are just farther and farther away from where you want to be. Um, so those were the most notable things that um, ended up happening to her. And it taught me that predators are everywhere looking for seniors that they can trick, especially with fear and intimidation. So let me jump in here real quick, because I, I want to unpack a couple of things. One is sure. that there is a huge financial cost for your mother at the same time that she's going through a divorce. And I imagine there's also a cost for you maybe not financial, but certainly emotional. Can you talk a little bit about elder fraud and how it affects victims and victims' families? Yes. One of the biggest issues I think that happened, at least with, with my mom and I during the divorce, so to give a little bit of background, I'm an only child. And I've always been probably more like my dad, a little more logical, a little less emotional. And during the divorce time, my mother felt that she kind of needed to stand on her own two feet and she didn't trust me so much. And we needed to rebuild our own relationship post-divorce. And so while this was going on, you know, just not having people to trust and then, you know, listening to what other people are recommending, this just really made her feel isolated and dependent on herself. And that's part of the problem that I ended up then having to quit my job and, and try to start undoing the mess. But actually, we were really early in the mess But when I was able to finally move home. So it really broke down trust between us, and, and we had to work on that. And we have a lovely relationship now. But it, those were some really stressful times. And then, yeah, it absolutely affected me emotionally tremendously. I mean, I gave up my career. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And that's how I ended up becoming a financial planner is to think about, well, you know, I, I do know what I'm talking about and I want to help other people. So, yeah, I mean, we're still kind of suffering the consequences of all of this about four years on, but it does have long-term effects on people and, and the psychological impact is tremendous. 
you may not know this, but how I got into this field is that my husband and I got ripped off by a crooked contractor and he took a large amount of money and really created a lot of emotional and financial stress in our lives. And so what I love about what you've done, Hayden, and I'm certainly biased because I did the same thing, is you took something that was a financial tragedy and turned it into a career where you want to help other people. And I think in some ways that's the best revenge on the people who uh, really uh, were not helpful and were very hurtful to your mom. It is. It is. And, you know, it's even encouraging. I, I've told my my mother, um, because she's in her 70s now, that, you know, this is really important, not just what I'm doing, but even using her as a catalyst for my my progress into elder fraud prevention, you know, that she can be proud that she survived these things and is letting me tell her story too. So there is a, there is a hugely positive impact if you choose to, to work with it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the other piece that's really interesting to me is the psychology of all of it. And so can you speak a little bit to what is the psychology of fraud? So in other words, we're not talking about the victim right now. We're talking about the perpetrator. So what's the psychology and how does that play out in how they pick their victims or why they do what they do? Can I help me understand that? Sure. So um, as a certified fraud examiner um, for about the past 10 years, this was something that is really in every type of fraud situation. It doesn't matter what it is, but there's always three things that need to be present for fraud to occur. And so the first one is some kind of financial pressure. So this could be anything from, you know, a lack of steady steady income. Maybe somebody has lost their job. Maybe they have unexpected bills suddenly, you know, it can be an illness or it can be, you know, a family member, or maybe they're just living beyond their means and they need to take money from other people to fund their lifestyle. The second one is a perceived opportunity. So again, this plays into senior fraud so well because these our seniors are the more vulnerable of our population and they're more trusting and because they're not so technology savvy, you know, they become easier prey for these people that are looking for opportunities to exploit. And then the last thing is the rationalization. So how does the fraudster end up living with themselves? What do they tell themselves when they're looking in the mirror to justify their actions? And that can be anything from, you know, well, they're old and they don't need it, or they have too much money anyway, or, well, I'm going to inherit it. So it can, it can be really anything. And, and the important point to note is that we don't have to understand why, but we need to really be aware of the opportunities, who has access, and then what does their lifestyle look like? So that helps kind of profile a fraudster a little bit with these three things that have to be present. Very interesting, interesting stuff. And so when it comes to gender, you know, your mom, obviously a woman, was ripped off, and I certainly have heard of widows being preyed on before. Is elder fraud more prevalent in terms of women being the victims, or is it an equal opportunity problem? Something I like to say is that fraud is everywhere and fraud affects everyone. So everybody, you know, is affected in one way or another, but women are definitely more at risk for financial exploitation. 
but the majority of fraud help happens to seniors who are 80 or older or those who have been divorced or widowed. Again, grief, you know, we can't underestimate how much grief plays into financial fraud. And financial fraud is also the fastest growing form of elder abuse. And from 2013 to 2017, it, the suspicious reporting quadrupled. And based on that, I would say again, every senior is a target. And sadly, if a senior falls victim to one fraud, then they're 2,000 times more likely to be victimized again. So these are really horrifying statistics. Wow, that is a troubling statistic. So for people who are listening in, I'm sure they're either thinking about themselves or maybe thinking about an aging parent, an aging aunt, somebody older in their life that's important to them. You know, How would you recommend approaching somebody if you were concerned about this issue and somebody that you care for? I would start by having an open conversation, maybe not about their finances directly, but um, asking them questions like, have they experienced anyone trying to take advantage of them? Or, you know, are they aware of maybe scam callers calling them, different mailers, you know, people even coming to the door? What things have they run into that may or should be suspicious of, right? Um, and also, do they have somebody that they can talk to about their finances if they don't want to talk to a family member? So again, it's uh, many seniors are exploited because it is that money shame. They're, they're not talking openly about at least some aspect of their finances with somebody that they can trust. And hiring an advice-only financial planner could be a good place to start, you know, for, for the senior. And the other thing I would say is that those who commit the most damaging frauds are also people in positions of trust. So family members, caregivers, attorneys, insurance agents, and financial advisors. If you're going to work with, uh, you know, a senior relative or your parents, make them aware of that, you know, and understand and know who are they working with, right? Vet who they're trusting and anybody who's isolating you from your parents or aging relatives is somebody that you don't want to work with. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about, because um, I certainly have, I have a father who's in the demographic um, and really thinking about when he was in that initial grief process, uh, lost my mother after 54 years of marriage. And I don't know whether this was fraud or not, but I do know that the number of solicitations he received, phone calls he received was worrisome. And part of what I'm thankful for is that we had broken money silence earlier on when my mother got sick and had many conversations. So by the time that started to happen in his life, and he happens to be very financially literate, he was able to ask me, do I have to respond to all of these? Because once again, he's of a different generation. So traditionalists, mm. if you send them a piece of mail, you respond. If you place a phone call, you return it. And so there is a different level of response, I think, also with that older generation, which on some levels is nice, but also can make them more likely to be victimized. How much does financial literacy come into play? Or can you be really financially literate and still get ripped off? You know, I, I do think that financial literacy does come into play in the case of my mother because she wasn't that financially literate. Um, she became easily overwhelmed and was pressured to make decisions. 
Also, seniors that are more, um, that fall vulnerable to fraud um, are the more educated, actually, and more affluent as well. So it can, it can happen to anyone, but I think the fraudsters are really targeting those who have more money, you know, that they can, they can get their hands on. But um, it, it can happen to any demographic. I mean, you can be financially literate and still get taken advantage of. So I wouldn't say that, oh, well, if you, you have enough financial literacy, so you're not going to be a target. Everyone's a target. And that's why it's important to always be mindful of that. Are there resources or tips about picking the right type of advisor? And also, if you are worried about a family member, are there resources about how to start approaching this and get some help? Yes, there are a ton of resources available. And in fact, if somebody is worried about vetting a financial planner, I would strongly encourage them to go to the SEC's website. They have a special website for like seniors and their money. And so they have a list of questions that you can ask to the advisor and you can look them up. The broker check is featured, which is uh, FINRA. So you can make sure they're registered and they don't have any convictions. So that's, that's one really good place to start before you talk to any planner, just do a little background check on them. But some of my favorite resources are from the Department of Justice. They have an elder justice initiative with their own website and everything. It's fantastic. And they have something called um, a neighborhood map. And it's an interactive map that's available for all U.S. states and territories. When you choose your state, all the available elder resources appear. So you can see adult protection services, counseling, legal aid. And you can find that at justice.gov slash elder justice. My second favorite is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They have a series of guides called Managing Someone Else's Money. And these are designed to educate caregivers of seniors on their responsibility and how to help prevent fraud. So they have some, not just for caregivers, but for trustees and people with power of attorney. So those are really fantastic. And you can find those at consumerfinance.gov. And lastly, I'm sure most people are familiar with AARP, and they have some great resources for seniors regarding scams and frauds. You can stay on top of the scams in your area via uh, alerts, and they even have a podcast that you can listen to called The Perfect Scam. And you can find this at aarp.org money. Those are really interesting resources. And for anybody who was scribbling away while uh, Hayden was sharing those wonderful resources, we will have them in the show notes and certainly more information about you as well. I think, you know, as we close, one of the things that is so important when it comes to breaking money silence is to talk about money early and often. But if you run into this situation, no matter what your age or your parents' age or your loved one's age, it is really important to break money silence and ask because you could protect them not only from a financial loss, but also from a big emotional toll. So Hayden, I love the work that you're doing. Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? They can visit SynergyWealthCareSolutions.com and they can send me an email as well. And um, also, hopefully in the, in the show notes and on my website, they, there are downloadable guides where they can find resources both for senior fraud prevention as well as 
senior fraud prevention specifically for advisors. I hope that those one-page resources really help everyone that's listening. Well, we will also put those in the show notes. You know, what I love about what you're doing is not only are you providing a really useful information and turning a personal story into something where you're using it to help others, you're also very dedicated to educating the population and and providing us with some really wonderful resources. So it has been an absolute pleasure, Hayden, to break money silence with you. Thank you so much for having me. And I am so excited to be able to help others fight this epidemic. This episode is sponsored by Age Up. Did you know that one in three 65-year-olds live into their 90s, but few can afford it? Age Up provides supplemental income to help fill the financial gaps that come with a long life. To find out more, visit age-up.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.